Simone Weil writes, There is a God. There is no God. Where is the problem? I'm quite sure there is a God in the sense that I am sure love is no illusion. I am quite sure there is no God in the sense that I am sure there is nothing which resembles what I can conceive when I say that word. It was a warm summer evening, an evening to sit outdoors and just take it all in. Sitting on that bench was a joy. The clock tower, the Gothic clock tower, I guess, of the Boston College's old library rose 50 yards from my bench. And every 15 minutes, its chimes broke into my thoughts asking me if I wanted to get into the library and do some of that work, that chapter awaits, go finish it, you gotta get going, you gotta do it, you gotta go in the library and do it, don't just sit there on that bench. But sometimes it is good just to sit and watch. Great insight comes to me on benches just like the one I was sitting on. So I sat and I watched and a young man and a young woman, both students on a bench across the quad, were deep, deep in conversation. And they seemed to be enjoying their sharing. The chimes rang five separate quarter hours, and they kept talking, recreating themselves in conversation. And a little girl, a little girl was skipping, and a, and her little girl came, and her mother came around to the quad and the little girl was engaged in the moment and she was so happy and exuberant and the little girl said to her mother, let's play Adam and Eve. The little girl skipped and swirled and said, uh, she, her mother asked, oh, do you want to play Eve? And the little girl skipped and world and said, no, I want you to play Eve. The mother replied, oh, oh you, you want to play Adam. The little girl smiled and said, no, no, you play Adam. <laughs> and the mother abetted her daughter's creativity and said, oh, you, you want to play the serpent? And this, the, the daughter shook her head and said, and, and, and said, no, no, I want you to play the serpent. The woman stopped and leaned over the little girl and said, you want me to play all of the characters, all of the characters? There's no one, no one left for you to play. <laughs> At this, the little girl stopped and stood looking up at her mother's elbows, bending into her hips and said, oh yes, there is. Oh yes, there is a character left to play. And only children seem audacious and open enough to play that part. 
You see, the little girl wanted to play God. If you recall the story, there are four speaking parts, four characters of note, Adam, Eve, the serpent, and the creator. The creator. God is the one that walks in the garden in the cool of the evening. And when I last saw them, the mother was lecturing the little girl about why it wasn't proper <laughs> to play God. It shocked the mother's religious sensibilities. When I related this story to a friend, she asked me with some concern, you're not advocating that people play God, are you? Don't you understand that the horrors of this whole last hundred years, this whole period we're living in stem, stem from people playing God. And she went on to give examples. Genetic selection, animal experimentation, Auschwitz, deforestation, cloning, radical medical experiments, people playing God. To her, that was very, very bad. Now, I have to admit, it's something to think about. Political leaders whose power is the power of life and death, and those researchers who bring forth mad war toys, the racism makers, the oppression perpetrators, the abusers of the environment, the abusers of all kinds of possible life. Such people were being accused by my friend of using their power and intelligence and presence without regard to their own human fallibility. In my friend's theology, God was all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, present everywhere. And she, as she saw it, people shouldn't play God because they had limited power, limited knowledge, limited presence, limited ways of, of knowing what the future would be. And if they played God, bad results would follow. And she was saying something important about human beings, about human relationship to the cosmos. Yes, she was saying something very important about being itself. You, you, two-legged ones, you're not God. Know your place and respect the powers above. That, my friends, is a theology. It's a point of view. And you may have encountered it somewhere. You may have run into that theology somewhere, heard it. Now, if challenged, I think she would admit that those who abuse their power, those who abuse their intelligence, those who abuse their capacity to do things in the world, they're not playing a very nice God. They're not playing a good God. They're playing a short-sighted, narrow, thoughtless, unloving God. They're playing a God that brings misery and destruction into our world. Images of God 
trying to imagine the nature of the ultimate, the power of being in all, this is an activity we call theology. And we are all, every one of us, theologians. When we think about big questions, when we try to talk and when we use words like, that's human nature, things turn out that way. When we use all those kinds of concepts where we're talking about how we see our relationship to the being that, that we're living in, the whole world that we're living in. And the images we conjure up tell us a lot. But those images tell us more about ourselves than they really do about the universe. Now I opened up with a quote from Simone Weil. She states that what many thoughtful theologians have argued for centuries. So I'm gonna read it again. I am quite sure there is no God in the sense that I am quite sure there is nothing, nothing which resembles what I can conceive when I say that word. Nothing I can conceive that when I say that word. There is no object, no thing that resembles my thinking about God. At the same time, she hints that God is not anything at all a being separate and apart, but is a quality. Love. James Luther Adams, who's once lived in a house a few blocks from here, the preeminent Unitarian theologian of the last century, they tell us, James Luther Adams said, God is not God's name. All our, all our preconceptions about ultimate reality are just that, our conceptions. Human beings cannot have ultimate knowledge. It is impossible to know. Nevertheless, we are hardwired to seek to understand. We think about ultimate questions. We think about the source of our being. We think about what our life means. We think because that's what we were evolved to do. In other words, it is for their own sense of being in the world, for their own sense of living in the cosmos, that people try to conceptualize the divine. because we would have our values and we would have our thoughts grounded in that which is reliable. We want to comprehend that which we intuit is greater, grander, and more mysterious than us. We want to help have some idea about what that might be. And it follows, people think these impossible thoughts because it makes a difference. It makes a difference in the kind of lives they live and how they conceive and conduct, conduct their lives, how they conduct their days, how they get up in the morning. It makes a difference in our lives how we answer these questions, so hear them. 
Is the cosmos hostile to us? Is the all that is our friend or our foe? Are we really the only creative and intentional beings that exist in the universe? Does reality itself, does our very existence make demands on our lives? Does being a human being does being a human being come with a job description? These are the questions that theologians ponder. And there are many, many attempts at answers. For myself, I learn more and am able to understand more when asking questions about stories and images. Abstractions, not so much. I like stories, I like images, and in the stories and in the images, sometimes I get a glimmer of something I might want to say yes to. So let's go back to our story. Let's go back to that story that happened in a minute. The little girl in our story was having fun. Engaging her creative imagination, she was not hurting anyone. And I'm drawn to that little girl's audacity and somehow I think she would play a very, very, very good God. A loving God. A fun God. Her God would bring joy and creativity into the world and she wouldn't be too strict on Eve and Adam. Fondness for forbidden fruits she would forgive. And it isn't that what playing is all about. Playing with ideas, trying out different roles, using our creative imagination. That is play. And maybe those who abuse power Maybe those who abuse their intelligence, maybe those who abuse the world aren't playing at all. They're not playing God because they're not playing anything. They're morbidly serious. Perhaps what makes them do what they do is they don't know how to play. I would like to suggest that playfulness of this little girl can teach us much, much about the life of the spirit. Maybe she can teach the theologians about theology. There are many other worldviews than the worldview of my friend who was afraid of playing God. For the Hindus, the entire universe is considered to be Leela. That is the play of Brahma, the source of all. In that worldview, God enjoys God's self by bringing worlds into existence and plays. Plays with them for a time and exercises creativity, yes, but playful creativity. And for these people, 
These acts of creation are not serious. The universe is not created for some grand purpose. God does not need to rest for seven days or six days or one day or anything because creation isn't drudgery. Also note the present tense of the verb, it is fun. Creation is ongoing. It's happening now. It didn't happen back then. It is still evolving, developing, being created, and recreated. Play, Leela. It is if we said that the creative activity of the universe was done just for the joy of it. And the universe exists simply as an exuberant expression of her own potential. The flowers exist to celebrate themselves. The rivers exist to flow not for some intention. Thus we have another image of the nature of reality, a contrasting example of theological imagination, different, different from the dominant one in our culture. We are introduced to a theology of play, playful creation. Recreation Recreation, 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 they're spelt the same, you know. Creation is ongoing for its own sake, but just wait a second now. Children play to enjoy themselves, while we adults often play to get exercise reduce stress, lose weight, meet friends, influence people. In other words, most adults, when we, call, when we do something called play, are very intentional. We're doing it for a purpose. So maybe adults have lost their remembering of just what play is. According to several good sources, Jesus once said, if you are to enter into the power of the holy, you should become as little children. And people have been wondering what he could have possibly meant by that. Become like little children. The more traditional Christians like to think that Jesus was recommending becoming gullible, innocent, meek, obedient. Like children? That doesn't sound like Jesus to me. In fact, it doesn't sound like the children. I know. So I have come to think that maybe Jesus is recommending that his disciples needed to learn to play, or at least to use their creative imaginations, needed to be more in touch with their spontaneity, needed to learn to enjoy themselves for joy's own sake instead of some lofty purpose superior. To joy. Psychologists studying creative workers in many fields report that it is in the most intensive creative work that people find their deepest joy. In the most intense creative work, people find joy. And these same psychologists tell us that creative workers are much happier than couch potatoes. 
much happier than people for whom life is one long slouch, one long party, just as people in committed relationships are generally happier than people who are free of commitments to others. Is that a contradiction? Or are people just entering into a natural relationship? Thus we're confronted with a paradox. Playfulness, enjoyment, not taking it too seriously is an essential characteristic of realizing our full human potential. And we come to know the experience of transcendence in moments of creativity, moments in which we must let go and just let it flow. Just let it flow. Cultivating our playfulness, our creativity, will help us relate to that interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part and help us to identify with the all. As I see it, we live in a creative cosmos that both sustains us in loving embrace and at the same time a universe that knows how to play with our pretensions, with our most earnest intentions, and will pose all our efforts to be in charge of things. So let us learn to play, play with our godliness, play with our creative connectedness, can play, 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 and let us enjoy the spark of the divine within our hearts, letting it flame up sometimes like that little girl that wanted to play, creator of the earth and sky.